evening, primetime partiers. It's primetime party time. Welcome back to our hour of all things media and entertainment, live on the air at 9 p.m. at ptptshow.com and on your time, wherever you stream podcasts. Tonight, we are going to vi- discuss the video game turned animation series, Castlevania. As a spooky season is approaching, it is time to go into one of our all-time favorite genres, one that we have discussed at length on accident, and now we're going to do it on purpose, Vampire. Um, yeah, Vampire is a fabulous pastime in television. We have everything from Dark Shadows to True Blood, and now Castlevania. So yeah, let's get into it. And to discuss this show, as it was requested, we have back on guest Eric with us. Good to be back. Good to be back. Thanks, Tracy. Yes, we are so happy to have you back. And yeah, Daniel, I know today we are not doing our traditional toast and roast, but a little bit of a toast and roast questionnaire. Yeah, you know, uh, good to have you back, Eric. It is full moon tonight. It is the end of summer. It is getting into spooky season. As the time that we're recording, this show kind of fits into to the whole spooky season thing, which brings my question to everyone here tonight. Fall, or the end of summer, beginning of fall, toast or roast? Oh, that is a good one. Eric, as a guest, I will allow you to go first. <laughs> for toast or roast well for me i passed my comprehensive exam so i'm now a phd candidate full-blown toast wow nice that is a major toast i thought so too congratulations (laughs) that's great that is a seasonal toast i feel like i know what you're getting at daniel and i would say as a San Diegan, everyone loves September because it's like the last month of summer when all of the tourists leave. So there is that. But I do also get this uh, impatience, which will be the roast of you can feel time passing, but the weather is staying the same. And you're like, when? When will I get to feel like it's fall? And it's like, it's going to take a while. It's not going to be next week. So that, that's a little roasty part, but Daniel, how about yourself? Oh, uh, I can never tell. Um, no, no, I mean, mo, 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 most of the time fall is my least favorite month or not month season. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Big spring, summer kid. Um, but yeah, I don't know, you know, this, this, uh, this time feels a little different. Jury's out. Um, I really enjoy like a good soup stew season. So I like fall for that. But like I said, it, it comes late. <laughs> so it's like, you're waiting for a while. I don't like pumpkin spice. I once got a pumpkin spice chai and I like gagged. Cause it was just like pretty much like every seasonal spice you could put. Cause they had pumpkin spice and they had chai. Both already have spices, just a spice bomb. I don't know how people drink those, Um, but I do enjoy apples and butternut squash and like pumpkin that is savory, but not so much. 
I like pumpkin pie, but like some people get like go hard in the pumpkin spice or go to Trader Joe's and be like, I got to buy every pumpkin product. Trader Joe's is good at that. Yeah. And I mean, it's hard not to. They they market it well, but which I will say the pumpkin. No, it's not. pumpkin. I think they have pumpkin and butternut squash raviolis. I, I do. I do mess with those. But I don't, yeah, I'm less so into the sweets of fall. That being said, I've heard good things about apple cider donuts. And maybe Eric can weigh in being one who has lived on the East Coast. <laughs> Is that a thing? That we're apple cider donuts. I am not too sure about that. But my roommate recently made a hundred apples worth of apple pies. Oh, and- Fabulous. Um, any anything you can do with apples, she did. So, <laughs> well, there you go. Yep. Our our apple season comes late, and then just everyone flocks to Julian and floods that small town for just like a glimpse of a season. <laughs> Is what I feel like happens. But I do enjoy all of the, and we'll get into it. For I mean, we got one more one one more week of September, and then it's October, and then we're just gonna be full fledged spooky season. You'll you'll hear it on the podcast. We got we got some nice things lined up to go alongside that. But to kick it all off, we got Castlevania, which is a I'd say if you're from the glittery vampire world, this is quite a sharp turn into real vampire versus human situation we have a lot more battles about a lot more about who really is the better species on this show and before we really get into it we'll take just a little break and then it's time So, Eric, what made you want to chat this show on the podcast slash why is it a show that you really love, love to rewatch? Give us some, give us some cliff notes on that. I don't think I have watched a show that had such a good hook and maintained it episode after episode after episode. Some things did change in season four, but setting this apart from all other shows, it really established a world that I think could easily anyone could be drawn to like the, the art and the voice acting and the storytelling. And there was no wasted scenes, everything put together, just really built out this world that drew someone in instantly from episode one and it's something that i rewatch you know on my free time um several times i think i'm on my fifth time right now um and yeah it's still just as great as the first time i watched it actually even more so because i've watched it so many times I, i pick up on some things that i missed out on so yeah i thought this was certainly an episode to discuss or a, a TV series to discuss, sorry. Yeah, I do think one of the things about 
this show that's interesting is even though the actual playtime, these aren't super long episodes per se, but they do move quickly in the pacing. So I can definitely see how upon a rewatch you would catch more because it it does seem like it's one of those shows where there is a lot of like scheming and wars. So catching what's kind of going on in the background so that in, you know, paying attention to different storylines like the B and C ones and how they apply to the A plot is definitely something where I'm like, I even had to rewatch episodes as I was watching the first time to be like, I feel like I need <laughs> to, to pay attention to that one more, which is always a sign of a good show is when they really make you have to fully watch with all of your attention. Right. Because for, for this show, it's definitely quality over quantity. The in, not only the impact of, let's say, action sequences, or but with not only just an entire conversation, but specific small phrases that characters say really show their intentions and move the plot along. Just small phrases you would normally just would, you know, wouldn't think anything of. It would just pass by you know you can't pick up everything until you rewatch it and it's like oh you know they they're really showing some self-awareness here they they really show some secret insight that that they know what's going on with everyone else and just very very interesting i think especially coming from a, a vampires and monsters action show based off of a video game yeah this is i mean I feel like there's not a lot of quality video game to film adaptations that I can think of. This is definitely one that's at the highest mark because I can think of like the Jake Gyllenhaal Prince of Persia movie, which has issues on many levels. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's also, yeah, the Mortal Kombat movies, which are, you know, some people love, those people aren't me. Um, and this is one where you kind of like I was watching it going, I have no context to this video game from the 80s. And I wonder how they got all the source material, how much of it is the writers and how much of it existed in the game. So, yeah, if anyone in the chat knows some more fun facts about that, please let us know and we will share. But yeah, that's it's like really you can only really tell it's a video game in the sense of when they have conflicts they seem to hit certain marks where you're like okay like you're paying attention to these battle scenes and they're very like exquisitely animated in a way that's like video games do this as well mm -hmm. but i think the all of the character development is very different because usually a video game i'm sure there's some that are quite comprehensive like the really long games kind of like a Zelda or a Final Fantasy but like this is one which it kind of feels like it must live in that sort of world to where they have so much to go off of and this is also one for gamers in the chat yeah. Please well correct me you care there. about the characters like yeah. the, these you, you care about these characters you know Trevor Belmont is you know, I, I consider him to be, you know, the grounding character of, of the cast, but, you know, Saifa and everything she goes through, things things are getting pretty tough for Saifa at the end. And I mean, Alucard is like a whole 
like conversation in and of himself. Isaac too. But I mean, these characters grow on you. Like you want to see their journey. You want to see them succeed. And you want to see the people that do them wrong pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. And like other vampire shows will focus a lot more on like the siring and the relationships and stuff like that. And Alucard is an interesting example because from the beginning you get someone who is half vampire, which you're like, ooh, that's a twist. Because you don't really tend to get that a ton in a lot of other vampire shows with the exception being the child storyline in twilight which if you guys want to hear me rant about how it i hate that storyline please watch our sexy vampires episode um, <laughs> but yeah he it, and i like that that was pretty early on like you're figuring out oh he had this full-on and they do a lot of flashbacks of the way that dracula was living on earth kind of like almost becoming a human like becoming almost literally humanized by the wife so like when the church decides to burn her at the stake like they really did make a big mistake because you look at that and go like oh all vampires might have decided to be like let's like live hunky-dory live on the land coexist and then instead it's kind of like really sharp turn to apocalyptic takedown so that's where you're like but getting into it because i know a lot of our conversation that we want to discuss about the show has to do about a lot of these and they evolve over the how do it why this show is so rewatchable and why it has so much staying power. So yeah, what are some moments and some characters that you think, if we're moving from beginning to end of the series that really stand out to you? I think first, when trying to figure out scenes that really stand out, um, that has to come to a realization parts There's really part one, which is seasons one and two. And then part two is seasons three and four, where everything changed. So right from the get-go in episode one, we have, you know, the meeting between Dracula and his future wife. And it very, very quickly turns into his wife burning at the stake. And he decides to lead a war on humanity. And Alucard, his son, is against this. They fight, Alucard loses, teams up with the other main characters, Trevor and Sypha, and now they're on this journey to try to stop Dracula from killing every human on Earth. And the final fight in season two is so good. For one thing, I mean, it's just very exciting action, but the, the impact that has on the characters, I mean, Alucard says before they even get there, I'm not ready for this but let's do it anyway. Like that sets the tone going into that fight. And they weren't ready. Dracula hadn't drink, drink blood for a year. He was destroying them. And the, the art and animation and sound when the fight boils down to just Alucard and Dracula having a classic fist fight. 
I guess, between father and son. Um, it was brutal, absolutely brutal and sad and sad. I, I know Daniel has something to say about that. Yeah, this this uh, this fight was tragic. This is this this was the scene where I kind of understood what you were talking about with the show recommendation. Uh, just Alucard and Dracula fighting in Alucard's childhood bedroom and Alucard having to rip the bedpost off his bed to stake Dracula with and also telling him, which this ended up to be the probably the most sort of prolific line in the show, at least for, for me and my viewing, was this whole catastrophe has been nothing but long, history's longest suicide note is the son saying that to his father um, when he does realize that, oh, you know, I have to end this and, and, and you're nothing but, but a sad, you know, like you, you died when, when, you know, your wife and my mother died and, and we have to end this. And, and it, it is a, just a really tragic, crazy fight that happens pretty early in the series as far as it goes for, um, Dracula basically being one of the main characters, if not the protagonist of the first couple episodes, it almost seemed like. Uh, Trevor Belmont kind of comes in as a sleeper protagonist later in season one, but but a lot of, at least the very first episode, Dracula is driving a lot of what's happening. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and the rest of the series is basically based off of Dracula. Everyone is just frantic trying to revive this guy the, the whole rest of the series. <laughs> That's true, yeah. He does keep the motivation for the rest of it. Yeah, that's wow. So, so basically, season two ends, and a lot does sort of pick up with three and four. We end up with a lot more characters. Uh, we end up with a lot of the sort of like, you know, uh, I guess power statuses of the world changes. A lot, a lot, a lot of the political power um, goes to basically. We we do spend a lot of time in season two as Dracula's sort of losing his power politically with yeah. knowing who else is within his castle. And they have a couple humans uh, who they've taken in who also hate all the other humans and, and want to eradicate them with the vampires, which is really interesting. It's um, scarier than the vampires. <laughs> you think Hector and Isaac are scary than the, yeah. Yes. When they have, when he has that like flashback to burning his own family alive. Oh yes. Just, I was just like, this person is super creepy. <laughs> like, oh, he's just but like th that no does more logs in the fire, <laughs> right? But that does not necessarily play into current storyline. Hector, you know, oh. he's a very benevolent character who, for some reason, is out there to kill everyone on Earth. Like, we we never get, you know, the the Hector who burned his parents alive. I I don't think we we necessarily get that, but but Daniel is right. I mean, the world does definitely blow up in season three, and I think before moving on, I think it's a very important note to make that Dracula was kind of ruling the world yeah. without really a presence in the world. He he really kept the persona of a vampire, you know, an aloof person who stays in the dark on his own loves blood loves all that but he he doesn't sh i mean and and there's signs that you know he does have some followers you know hanging out around his castle but he doesn't really have a presence in the world but he still rules it and i i think that's very important to distinguish between all the other vampire generals who are ruling just like you know human generals or human kings yeah. and queens would mm -hmm. 
That's a good it's point. It's interesting, like in general, that Dracula has this like global presence and power. Because I think usually when you see Dracula in other adaptations, it's not like he's trying to rule the world. He's really just trying to like, frankly, date a lot. Um, <laughs> it usually seems like his goal <laughs> is more like, oh, yes. I'm in love with this person, this person, this person, and I'm going to use my mind control powers and have them float into my room. But, but like in, in one, this world, he wants to, you know, black out the sky. Yeah. You know, like true, like darkness across the earth. And, and then his wife and dies. And, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a different, that's a different take on dracula but, slash all vampires it's a but he he dies in season two yeah you know and the the world like daniel says blows up in season three maybe you didn't say blow up but i mean essentially the world does blow up and like dracula truly was the tip of the iceberg i think for the the scope of this world and the types of characters that are in it and the amount of evil and violence that's in the world like he truly was the tip of the iceberg but we see the storylines spread out you know we have trevor sypha they go off on their own alucard is on his own but then we get isaac's story and then hector's story with the vampire sister quartet and it was just super interesting seeing all those stories unfortunately they some of them never collide back together. Yeah, we'll get to that. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so whose stories in so so season three does pick up in a very different world. And at this point, we are following all of these characters in a post-Dracula world. Who yeah. did you latch on to in this new version of this series? Isaac. Okay. So H- hands I, down. Hands, hands down, down Isaac, Isaac was sort of the leading sort of like driving force of I would, yeah, that's interesting. I thought that it was really weird in, in, in episode one, is that, where Dracula sort of casts him out. He's willing to sacrifice himself for Dracula. Dracula decides that he'll live and Dracula himself will die. So he casts Isaac out to the desert. And Isaac's alone and seemingly weak. And I thought it was really interesting and telling in that at the end of that first episode of season three, where sort of like the bandits or whatever try to come and, and basically you know, sort of bully, for lack of a better word, uh, Isaac. And we get a very long scene of Isaac showing them just why that's a bad idea and just how much physical power Isaac retains, just how mu- uh, just how good he is at fighting and just how much sort of vengeance he has in him uh, at that point. Yeah, like his his relationship with the rest of the human world is pure hatred it's sometimes it's almost beyond hatred you know he kind of takes a lot of um the the perspectives of the vampires have where they basically treat humans like livestock you know isaac truly you know wanted to follow dracula's mission which was to kill everyone he thought everyone was a waste of space they were horrible and they should be eradicated from the earth to purify it and like throughout the story, like he just had a lot of rotten luck coming across people who just wanted to screw him over. And 
the whole time he just kept getting that just kept being reinforced but but then he starts talking to other people he's you know the the first one he talked to was um he was a, a blind merchant who sold a lot of magical items and that was like the first act of human kindness that Isaac's seen in a while. Yeah. But then, you know, all the 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 guards in the city he was living in want to kill him. So he's like, all right, now everyone sucks still. But then he meets the captain. And what does the captain do? Reminds him of human kindness. And what could Isaac do if he just taught them? You know, what 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 could he really do? But then he, he gets off the ship and People want to kill him again, but things start changing even more, you know, after he talks with one of his night creatures and he talks with a former forge master, you know, the, um, Miranda, Milanda, the, the way she says it in the show, it's kind of like Milanda. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's Miranda though. L R type thing. (laughs) I think it's okay. Definitely. Yeah, and, and she was she was really the crux to what could bring the captain's viewpoints to Isaac because she was she was not a good person. You know, a nice person. You know, she had a friendly conversation with Isaac, but she was definitely not a good person in her life. But she could match, you know, what Isaac was thinking. And she could be like, hey, you can kill everyone. He already, you know, this this magician already enslaved them. Kill them all. Take your reward and use that for your revenge. And save, you know, the, the people I used to live with. And that was like, oh, you know, I can use my acts of revenge for something good. And then he was reminded by one of his night creatures, like, oh, evil in the world really can breed more evil. Like, this is this is disturbing. This is messed up. So I, I think from a collection of those experiences and Isaac's journey was so fun to watch and so interesting. And it really made sense how someone who really wanted to kill everyone in the world could change. And no, I, I want to build an environment for people to be good. And I, that was, that was a drawing point for me watch watching his journey and um, the people or the things that he <laughs> interacted with i thought it was so fascinating yeah i know that there are a specific moment of season three that daniel also wanted to touch on the episode nine the harvest yeah you know so okay so we have isaac's story and then in the meantime hector is with the vampire sister quartet, right? We're, we're introduced to Carmilla in season two and her ambitions. And when she retains the p- power of, I guess, like the, the vampire sort of, uh, what would you call it, nation or, or uh, alliance in, in some way? Yeah. Um, yeah, when, when, when they have those powers, they basically get Hector to do their bidding in, in that way in season three. Before we do get to that and, and sort of like get to the point where we get to Hector's storyline. Um, there's something else that happens with like Belmont and Saifa and this town that they go to. Um, and this all sort of leads into this, this amazing f- penultimate episode to season three. 
Um, I, I, I will say that with Isaac's story, that, that moment where he is at that top of the castle and he does kill that wizard um, and all of those humans are falling around um, outside the windows is like really haunting. Um, but that's also cross cut with these two other stories. And we lead into basically what, what happens with there's that battle. And then there's this other battle that we lead into uh, where Belmont and Sypha encounter this small town uh, with a couple of key characters, namely St. Germain, uh, Sala and the judge. Eric, do you have any thoughts on these three? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, Saint Germain, he is a very, um, he's a very fine character. I thought he was a great addition uh, for season three, but a, a lot of what happens with Saint Germain is really in season four. Yes. But first, first, I want to start with Sala. So, in in contrast to the the priest or the the bishop in season season one is where where he mostly came into place you know that was a very evil evil religious figure who you know was responsible for murdering dracula's wife and he truly believed in what he was preaching but he went about it all wrong like it was he was a very bad bad person in in this world but then we go to sala who is a I, I forget exactly what his religious position is i i'm not sure was was he a he wasn't a minister i don't i forget yeah the there's some specific position for him um he seemed to be the leader of of a couple of um mm -hmm like yeah minister likes um i'll look this up in just a minute but yeah he, he was sort of the leader of yeah much of minister He's likes who, oh, mysterious sorry. leader of the monks in linfield yes okay and he's the one who wants to resurrect dracula exactly so what happens with his character is actually a night creature forged by isaac was there, so this is kind of giving an indication that forge masters can have some influence on how they create a night creature when they pull a soul out of hell and put it into a dead human body and create a demon slash monster that they can have some kind of influence over that process because this night creature really embodied Isaac's dream of resurrecting Dracula because it... Um, enters the church where all these monks are in and basically teaches them how to resurrect Dracula. And Sala and the monks are really a victim in this situation, but it's, it's in a way where they, they are exposed to this night creature's teachings. And there, there is some indication by Sypha that there may be some mind altering magic going on, but there is no indication of it. Like they, they really just seem like normal people who truly just have a better relationship with the devil and hell versus, you know, what they started out in their religious life as. Um, and I, Sala's character is rare to see. I think from my experience in, you know, movies and TV, his character is very rare 
where he's not crazy. And there's very interesting dialogue between Sala and Saint-Germain about, you know, the, the threshold of what is considered crazy and not between these two. I, I think it's very, very interesting and very grounding for these characters. But last but not least, we have the judge who in a world where there's so much heartbreak and so much violence and so many things happen to all all these characters and the people in it. But when you find out what, what the judge is really like after he dies, it's this really like, you, you truly want to be like Sypha. Like, I want to get out of here. I never want to come back. Like, it's, ah, because you, you never saw it. You never saw this coming. There were cues and they, they tell you, but you never saw this coming. And it's just twisted. Yeah, he's a very twisted judge, jury, and, and sort of executioner in that way. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, yeah, yeah. His last requests are to burn down his house. And, uh, yeah. So he knows what he's doing he, is wrong. Right. He, he knows. Right, right. And there's a weird indication that he cares like he doesn't want anyone to know how messed up he is but he did it anyway he's twisted he killed all those kids killed the kids in the pit ah. under the tree and he gets solo that way too after solo bests him uh it's kind of poetic it's kind of incredible uh yeah it wasn't uh the the fun game that sypha thought anymore it wasn't it wasn't fun yeah. you know going around and saving the day that's something this show does really well. I really just want to take a second to appreciate how much time we get to see of Sypha happy uh, before basically everything goes to shit in that matter. Uh, it, it's interesting, especially I, I, we talked about it a bit with the pacing of Isaac's story um, and how, how we sort of like linger on. Or we, we get a lot of time with a lot of his journey. We spend a lot of time with his journey over that season. A lot of those conversations, you know, whether it's with forge master flies eyes you know the with sypha we get that but we get her in her sort of like at the end of season two beginning of season three we get her in this happy space of just like having her plans and being on top and being very capable and finding you know a man that she's really comfortable with and she was in her honeymoon phase yeah that's a <laughs> great way to put it yeah yeah and seeing the judge's house sucked her right out of that huh no <laughs> Yeah, um, it wasn't, it really wasn't fun anymore for her. And after that, it going downhill from there is kind of hard to do, but it stayed down. <laughs> it stayed down for a long time. And yeah, then everyone feels like they're turning into Trevor Belmont. <laughs> everyone does. Yeah. yeah, everyone realizes why he was drinking and, you know, sleeping under trees and being a messed up character in season one because they realized what his life really was because yeah. they were living it <laughs> yeah that's that's when she's depressed and they're riding away from the town and and she's like what just happened and he goes well we've we've spent the last few months living your life now we're living mine and yeah and then to your point 
every character, or to, at least Alucard, will say it in season four. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, I'm turning into Trevor Belmont. Speaking of characters down on their luck, let's turn our eyes to Hector in season three because we have another character, a very important character uh, that we have not spoken about on this show yet with Lenore. What do you think about that? It's just season three to start. Hector or Lenore or both? both. They're kind of hand in hand at this point, right? Right. So Hector comes in in season two, was completely... I'm I'm trying to talk about whether he was manipulated or not. And that's actually a conversation he has with Lenore, where she basically tells him, you think you're manipulated, but you really weren't. I mean, Carmela was being real with you. Sure, you know, like she kind of took advantage of, you know, some things that you were doing, but you, and yeah, maybe the effect of that was you can, you, you didn't really know you were betraying Dracula when you were doing these things. You know, Carmilla did that without your knowledge, but really the things that we are after, Dracula lied to you that he was after. You know, he, he wasn't promising the world that you thought you were going to live in, but we are. So in a way, he is being manipulated, but he's also not being manipulated either because he goes along with what people say way too easy <laughs> um, when it comes to Carmilla and Lenore. But she does a real dirty at the end of season three. Basically, he has a mental breakdown. He thinks his life is over. He will forever be controlled by, you know, these vampire sisters to just create night creatures. And, you know, he he has no ownership of his life. I mean, she basically treats him like a pet. Yeah. I mean, I she, gonna say, she says like, that. Messed up. <laughs> she like walks him on a leash and like, yeah. also the whole kind of her seducing him is it like a bit messed up because then she gives him that little ring that makes you feel like it's not really his choice afterwards that she's like, yeah, now I'll do all of my bidding. And I'm like, "Ah." but I still like her sex. I'm going to (laughs) train you. (laughs) He's like, I like that part, but, (laughs) but in four, sorry, Daniel, do you have something? Oh no, we're just at the point that I, oh. this is my like. Uh, I yeah. yeah, that that right. scene right is incredible. Be, be, like yeah, yeah, it's icky. Yeah, she's awful. Yeah, please go. Yeah, Le- I totally get what you mean because Lenore was proven that she was the dark horse of that quartet of Carmilla, Striga, Morana, and her. You know, we have the queen Carmilla. We have the the warrior. Striga. Then we have the, um, oh my gosh, I always forget the organizer, Marana. And then we have the diplomat, and she she makes a point. You know, I'm I'm not weak. And then she's like, I'm not stupid either. Like I'm the reason this plan is going to work, because she, I mean, ultimately she solved the Hector problem, and she showed like she was smart and she wasn't weak, but a total 180 comes in at season four yes but before we get and, into season four sorry um i just want to take a second season the the last two episodes of season three and the sex scene between lenore and hector as well as at the same time isaac fighting the wizard as well as 
you know, the the night creature being broken out of Sala or Sala's little palace. Um all happens at the uh, also with like Alucard's sex scene and and the twist there all happens at the same time and all happens in this sort of you were saying that after Dracula's death in season two there's a split in the narrative and we'll talk in a couple seconds about how we don't actually get back to a cohesive one narrative the show actually does stay split after this but from an editing standpoint, from like an actual sort of like watching a television show standpoint, the way that they cross cut those four storylines at the end of season three, the way that there's so little dialogue in the harvest episode and you just watch these battles and these sex scenes build up and build up and build up. And then you watch Isaac win his battle and you get to a point where once the battle's over, these two sex scenes are still going on. And like, You've gotten the one climax, but then before you get the others, you do get these twists of like, whoa, these become power struggles. Whoa, like all of this stuff that like Hector's just said to Lenore, like she has totally manipulated him. Um, she was the dark horse. Like this is a complete, you know, like she is reprehensible. Uh, it's incredible. It is like, even though the, the, the narratives don't connect at this point, um, they feel like they do. And I, I just want to highlight that that's a massive triumph. That was, it, it's it's one of the best parts of the show, in my opinion. Um, but yes, we have much to talk about. <laughs> right. I mean, we haven't even really talked about Alucard yet. No. Not a lot. I no. mean, one of the, I mean, this pretty much by the end of the series, you can consider this like an ensemble cast. Yeah. But I yep. mean, he's one of the, you know, the trio. He's one of the front runners for the Castlevania franchise. And I mean, he, he's having a really terrible life. (laughs) You know, his mother died. And then immediately after, you know, he tries to fight his dad to the death, you know, trying to stop him from genocide. And then he loses. And then he kills his father all in the span of one year. Right. And then he's, you know, alone again. Well, I mean, I, I don't really know his life before the show, but, you know, I mean, he's alone. Like, he lost everything, you know, because the thing that really sets this show apart is, like, they, they include, like, epilogue-based episodes at the end where Dracula dies in the second to the last episode of season two. And a lot of the climax moments, they're a lot some very few things do happen after those climax moments but um like i mean he has it really tough and then he met like the two twins taka and sumi and they just turned out to be hateful you know people as well yeah super greedy um but yeah i mean he truly felt he was making a connection with people and i mean he staked them at the end of the end of season three. I mean, he was truly was going to the dark side. Yeah. Like fully going to the dark side, just like his dad. And that to me, the first thing I thought of was five seasons. There has to be five seasons. And Alucard has to be like the new Dracula figure by the end. 
Yeah. But I mean, we we never got that. Uh, another another character that had a huge 180 in season four, but they were so careful to show, you know, the the trauma this character was going through and how it's somewhat understandable that he started staking people. Um, he was living with for at least a few weeks. Yeah. And yeah, just a sad character. That voice acting for Alucard was incredible. Like everything out of his mouth is like, out of that, the voice actor's mouth was um, just really showing how like Alucard is kind of like dead inside. I mean, he really is sad. Mm-hmm. And yeah, very in- incredible character. Like definitely like Isaac is what, you know, really drew me to season three, but I was always rooting for Alucard the entire show. You know, I, th- I think he, he has that effect on viewers. Yeah. Well, we didn't get your five seasons, but we did get a fourth. Where do you want to start? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There had to be a buildup for through season four based on the pacing of season three. There had to be a buildup to season four and then they would come back together season five. But hey, just Eric's, you know, (laughs) Eric's thought experiment. (laughs) No, I I expected the ideal world. Yeah, I'm kind of with you on that. I expected everything to come back together in in, in some sort of way. But ultimately, the last two episodes of or, or the ultimately season three episode nine the harvest is the last time that the series or that the storylines felt like they were together at least in my mind um i mean at least you know alucard's storyline does link back to trevor and cyphus so there's that much true uh but uh what about this uh what about these vampire sisters what about hector what about isaac they all come together too how does that go right they do come together because even though isaac is going through huge (laughs) you know um philosophical changes in his life i mean he he still wants to get revenge for dracula you know this is someone he truly idolized and respected i mean there was that was part of the reason dracula threw him into the desert through his um, transmission mirror because Isaac was willing to give up his life for his immortal one. I mean, and he was so bent on revenge that it really took him. He he made up his mind how he wanted to live his life, but he needed to do this thing, you know, because of his resolve, you know, to honor Dracula's memory. He he had to go and you know get revenge on Carmilla. It, it always, I think there are hints that he was never going to go there to kill Hector. You know, I think they needed to, they needed to reconcile something, but it was never to like the point of one killing the other, even though that's what Hector thought. But I mean, they well, said it themselves, like, why should we make friends with each other if we're planning on killing all the humans in the world? But Isaac ends up going, you know, establishing his army. You know, he turned most of the night creatures by that wizard, got a huge transmission mirror and went to um, get his revenge on Carmilla. Funny thing is, Striga and Morana are away at the time. And 
there are large hints that this would be exponentially more difficult, if not impossible, if Striga and the rest of the army was around. I mean, I, th I think when a character says in a show, like, I can win any war if I put my back into it after she slaughters, like, <laughs> a bunch of people in some of the most badass armor, um, especially in this show, I, I think when a character says something like that, it's intentional by the creators of the show that Striga had to be a way for Isaac to be successful. I think there are heavy, heavy um, uh, clues towards that. But anyways, getting back to Carmilla, um, you know, the, the femme fatale among the people in the show. I mean, she hates crazy old men. One turned her into a vampire, I believe. Yes. It's... Yeah, that, that's stated by one of the vampire sisters. So Carmilla, Striga, Morana, Lenore, the, the vampire quartet, you know. Carmilla's the queen, but but they rule as a unit. Like they they really support each other, which is really Carmilla having crazy ideas, and somehow Striga and Morana make it work, and then Lenore comes in as a diplomat as she needs to. But in season four. When Striga and Marana are going out mile by mile, taking over this wide um, territory that's now left um, left up for left up for grabs, essentially, she starts getting ideas, <laughs> more ideas, big ideas, where they haven't even taken over, um, established an empire. She wants to rule the world. And she starts becoming into this crazy character that she hates seeing in so many other characters in the show. You know, what, what truly drives her character, she becomes one. And it's slightly inconsistent with her in season two and some in season three. We don't really get a whole lot of Carmilla in season three, but she is bold but careful in season two. She was not afraid of calling out Dracula in the middle of, you know, a meeting with all of the generals, everyone in the castle. She's not, um, she is bold enough to call him out that, hey, you never turned your wife <laughs> into a vampire, but she was extremely careful. No one saw her plan coming. Nobody saw it. Even Hector, right? Who should have seen something, <laughs> but yeah, the all all them coming through. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was clear as day. You know, Isaac's um, intention that yeah, I need to eliminate Carmilla. I mean, he basically tells her like, I, I'd always fear your ambition, and it, it's true. The the character that was established in the series. I mean, you cannot trust Carmilla. <laughs> she does not, nobody rules Carmilla. Right. And she's always going to want more. And he, like, and I mean, he already like attacked her castle <laughs> in a full blown war with her. So I think Carmilla versus Isaac um, was meant to be, but yeah, she went out like a boss. Like okay. A true so that boss. worked for you. The end of the Isaac storyline, the end of the Carmilla storyline all worked for you. I 
how we got to that storyline, I did not like how Striga was just thrown off on the wayside to, you know, take care of some farmers and then realize this is going to be a lot of work. I don't want to do it. I did not like that. But what went down between Isaac and Carmilla, I think, was consistent with the power scaling of the show in what a a vampire and a vampire general should be, what night creatures could do, and what Isaac could do as a human. Because most humans could what will indicate humans do, but Siphon and Aunt, who you know comes from this family known for hunting monsters, so you can't really use him as a standard. Um, but what went down? Yes, I, I generally think that um, it, it was a very nice conclusion to that part of the story. And then the ending part between Hector and Isaac, especially, I think it was, it, it totally made sense how Isaac reached to that point where, no, I, I want to establish a place where, you know, people can, people can live a life, you know, something I never have. I want to provide that for others and really trying to be a positive influence to the world and just coming to the realization that he wants to live. I mean, that was, it was so satisfying to see that from his character, you know, because in, in a way he's similar to Alucard, not necessarily sad. He just has this disappointed perspective on the world, just really, really disappointed with everything. And, you know, yeah, he, he does have a, have a grudge. And at first he wants to take it out on the world, but, no, like I, I want to live to provide for others. I, I want to live like that. It was so satisfying to see that. Yeah. I love that comparison. That was a great comparison. Yeah. But how, how we got there, you know, I, I think there, there are some questions for sure. <laughs> yeah, I could agree with that. I, I am with you. I think that sidelining Striga is, uh, there's there's kind of I I can't get my head around how to defend it. Um, just from a narrative standpoint, you know, uh, what what was great about this show is that everybody had a lot of ambition, everybody had conviction, uh, and you were always kind of scared of like what was going to make them snap and when they were going to do something that you can't return from. Uh. By that, by that end, with sidelining Striga, with Isaac kind of walking into into the castle and taking it, and nobody else really being around to sort of uh, like combat him in any way. To uh, like Hector, kind of gives in almost immediately, right? Um, expecting Isaac to kill him. Hector also somehow gets the up on Lenore. I have a question, whether for you or whether for someone in the chat. Uh, where was Hector able to get his free will from? I was under the impression that Lenore, like he had sort of sworn loyalty to Lenore, but it seems like he was doing a lot without one, her knowledge, and two, he's the one that traps her when Isaac reaches the castle, correct? Where he's able to make his move against her. Where was he able to get the free will to, to accomplish that? That might be a plot hole. Okay. I was just wondering that if I missed it, something. It just might because he is like sworn to 
the loyalty to all four sisters. Right. Because and yeah, so yeah. the fact that be, be, Lenore even says he's going to go kill Carmilla. Right. And Hector did nothing. I mean, he never tried to stop him like that. I think under most definitions of, you know, what loyalty is would be disloyal. Mm -hmm. I mean, he willingly said like, hey, do this thing. You will go straight up to Carmilla so you can kill her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, with the, the, that, the, the thing he made with, yes, and the it hammer? led to a direct route. Uh, yeah. And then it, it created a force field to like get her stuck in her office right. like room. So she had to fight hundreds of night creatures. I think all that was the epitome of like not being loyal at all. Yeah. So that might be a plot hole. It might. We also do have a take from Brandon or BMAC in the chat. And it says, I think the ring only controls his control of the night creatures. Which does make sense to me. I, I, I would have missed that. I, I, I was under the impression that he was loyal to Lenore. That's true. Under all and, and he and he but does yeah, mention yeah. that. He's like, yeah, I, I can't um, do anything about these night creatures because oh. I have, you know, the ring on. So that that does make a lot of sense. Okay, so so the ring was based on on the army specifically. Okay, but but I think the this the process of you know like the the whole ring situation it wasn't totally there was nothing about that that was only based on his forge mastery hmm. at all like it wasn't just about the night creatures he can make it was being loyal to the sisters in general right so i think there is an inconsistency there between uh protecting the sisters versus you know the the control over this demon army yeah. So I think either way, I think, yeah. Okay. Well, he's basically disposed of because Isaac chooses <laughs> to essentially forgive him. Lenore is disposed of at that point. Um, Striga and Marana aren't even around. And Carmilla has been slowly kind of going mad, isolated, um, away from all of her political conquests for far too long. So while I'll agree with you that when Isaac does reach that room, and when they do have that fight, it is a, a rather great visual fight scene. Um, I was, I was never doubtful of Isaac's ability to sort of come out with, with a, with a win there, um, and and quite a satisfying end for his storyline. But, like from Hector's character, like we know this backstory where he killed his parents. Yes, but then we never really see it. But then all of a sudden, somehow he makes a force field around Carmilla's office room to get her stuck there. Mm. You know, doesn't how like really Carmilla didn't know she was left alone this entire time in her office, drawing plans of like maps of the world. I don't see how he would have had that time. I mean, they have superhuman hearing. I mean, Carmilla even says in season three, like I can hear you through like, what was it? Like m several walls and like four snoring boys or something like superhuman hearing. No one's going to hear him making a spell around your office. Perhaps not. It's <sighs> here's, I don't know if this feeds into this at all, uh, but it sounds like 
we're in agreement that a lot of the motivations and a lot of the convictions of the characters are, are weaker and consistent within the fourth season. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems to me, whether this is sort of a, uh, like a direct theme or um, not um, intentional, I suppose is the word, is from my perspective, and, and a lot of the reason, this is a lot of like early in season four too, the characters seem like they are the attitude wise done with the story. Um, after the season three climax, like the, I guess Dracula's resurrection the first time was failed. Um, St. Germain's still trying to figure it out. Yes. Uh, but I mean, you know, the Trevor and Sypha aren't very happy. Uh, Alucard's still sad. Um, Carmilla is just beyond her ambition. And for the most part, when we are following Striga and Marana, we are sort of like questioning, you know, how necessary some of this is. Most of Lenore's storyline in season four is questioning how necessary some of this is. Uh, I I don't know if I'm remembering this right. Uh, A lot of Hector's conversations were only because Varney was calling everybody, trying to get them interested in the storyline. Uh, <laughs> I'm just wondering if, if, if a lot of the carelessness might've come from the fact that the characters were, like I said, it just, I, I, I caught this attitude that nobody really had sane ambitions. Nobody really cared about their end game at that point. Uh, I'm not sure if that translated across the board, but that's, that's kind of like what I got from it. Like Lenore very quickly just wants to nope out, um, after one conversation with Carmilla and I don't know, Carmilla was just left alone drawing maps for far too long. I just, just <laughs> I don't I don't know how that happened, but it seemed like everybody was over her by the time she got one done. Yeah. I mean, she became queen of Styria for a reason and not just because she was left alone in a room, like going mad. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's so the yeah, whole thing. The- <laughs> this series was best when, when, or Carmilla was best. Carmilla was one of the more interesting storylines of season two, in my opinion, where she was sort of manipulating all of the men within Dracula's castle to do her bidding and 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 basically playing all these sides. She was uh, like, what are those great sort of um, uh, devious characters? You know, almost little fingery. I'm not sure if that comparison stands, but yeah, just the the political aspect of gaining power, you know, in those areas. But yeah, you're right. She became queen because yeah, of those moments. I mean, she, yeah, and she had some self-awareness in season two where it's like, yeah, I, I recognize I lost a lot of, you know, soldiers, you know, in this fight at Dracula's castle. I mean, she she has an awareness of like basic like battle, like war tactics, like and what she is capable of. So it, it was totally off kilter for a character to um go this completely mad direction where she just thinks she has like this infinite army which i mean given enough time hector or isaac could make an infinite army <laughs> to to make this work but like come on carmela like you really want us to believe that you're this crazy i i i didn't i couldn't I I see like right before she dies, she's like, like the Carmilla we know comes back, you know, 
you know, she's not going to let Isaac kill her. No one's going to let anyone kill Carmilla. Yeah. Only she's going to do that. You know, that's the Car- Carmilla we know. That's true. You know, um, high self, high self esteem, way too much self esteem. <laughs> um, <laughs> she, you know, she she takes charge in her life. That she had the traumatizing experience coming up, and you know, no one's gonna no one's gonna tell her what to do. Could you say the same about Lenore? Uh, in in the not in the crazy well, like sense, towards the very, but in the self esteem and the sort of what I'm trying to get at is one Carmilla. We have mixed thoughts on her, but when we decided to talk about Castlevania, when it was put on Tracy and I to sort of like dive into the series and and see what this was all about, the primetime community really honed in at that time on one character's fate and one character's storyline. And I kept hearing the name Lenore. Yeah. I mean, we've already discussed a little bit that, I mean, she truly is a very despicable character, but like, she's so good at it. Like you, you have to, like, you don't have to like her, but she's so likable because she's just spewing facts to Hector and she gets him to trust her like for real. But then she really, really does him dirty. But then, but like, so she, she has this character, right? She, she has a backstory. She's a smart character and she does have self-esteem, like very good self-esteem other characters don't see her that way, but it doesn't seem to bother her that much because she knows she's awesome, <laughs> essentially. You know, she knows she's not weak. She knows she's not stupid. And she really feels like a part of this group. And in season three, they treat her like a part of the group. She's not a waste of space. So like she does have a purpose, you know, functioning in this quartet. I do not believe that just because Hector can now make night creatures, all of a sudden she's going to lose all of her confidence and start thinking everything was a mistake and letting boredom get the best of her. I don't see that at all for, you know, a 200 year old vampire who was that smart. Don't see it at all. And then without even really trying, I mean, Essentially, they ran out of wine. She's like, fuck it. My life is over. I'm going to kill myself. And she <laughs> does. later, runs out of wine. Just goes and dies. I mean, uh, yeah. doesn't, doesn't even try. Yeah, that was weird. Uh, that was... I totally get why the community's pissed. Yeah, it's one of the weirdest things I've, I've seen happen to a great character in a show in, in a long time, to be honest. Um, when you build characters up like that, you just you love to see them succeed in the harshest of circumstances. And whenever I think Castlevania season four, I just say that like, or I, I just keep thinking like that they were never really, none of the characters shined in the harsh circumstances that they were given in the ways that we had been conditioned to expect from them. I understand what everyone's saying about Lenore. That was kind of crazy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, did, did Alucard get his time to shine? What do you think? Ooh, I'd love some thoughts on that. Um, 
I Alucard essentially is an interesting case, right? And, and I'm kind of formulating this as I go. Let me know what you think. Alucard, like Dracula, obviously was a lonely person. He didn't have too many people he could trust and was pitted against many beings in the world, many people in the world. Alucard was cold like that when we met him. Found friendship through Trevor and Sypha. Uh, the Dracula Castle, the Belmont Hold, becomes this great historical place. He keeps being told the sort of you know, necessity of that um, and, and, and sort of finds a mission in, in preserving you know, his father's knowledge um, and finding good in humanity and basically like, you know, keeping to his convictions of why he did end up killing his father. And in season three, we sort of get that with, you know, his journey there, except they end up betraying him and he's sad about that. In season four, we actually do get to see him find community and reunite with his friends, right? So... Uh, that's sort of like the his I don't know his journey seems consistent in that way I, I thought that his relationship might have blossomed fast but there was a lot going on in season four uh, mm -hmm. otherwise I mean Alucard had his I mean how does it get higher stakes than killing your father in your childhood bedroom with your bedpost uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure exactly what. More yeah, I'm. Yeah, I'm in. I'm in a very similar uh, thought process on that. Um, I mean, he really does have like this the shining moment. I I I consider that you know even more of a climactic moment than the end of season four with Trevor and death. Um, yeah, because there was too. so much behind Alucard and Dracula. Um, but I, it, I really felt like when they invaded Dracula's castle in season two, it really was a trio. They, they all did have their place. Even Sypha back then her, her magic wasn't as good as it was by the end of season four, but she had her place when they were fighting. And even though the teamwork was better by the time they got back in season four, somehow it was better, even though they'd never <laughs> interacted with each other. I felt like maybe it's because of the pacing of season four as well. When Alucard went back in, he was an additional strong fighter to have. He, it wasn't a cohesive three-person unit like it was before where, oh, we have Sypha, we have Trevor, we have Alucard. It was kind of really like the Trevor and Sypha story. They're just happening to do it in Alucard's castle now. And now he's going to help him out. I thought there was like that disconnect where he was just a strong fighter to support, you know, Trevor getting to the final boss, essentially. And it didn't feel right to me. I didn't like that. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, to to your point about the first story, uh, I'm not sure if this was the intention because my opinion, or my understanding, Castlevania games are different than like RPGs, and I, I keep thinking like, yeah, it's the three characters, and you're using all these like combined text that you'd find in games like Chrono Trigger, and and it's like a great visual portion of that. Even though Metroidvania games are are very different, I, I need to play Castlevania games. 
the final fight, yeah, it's it's not. I, I'd agree. It's 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 uh kind of disconnected. I think that that comes a lot with those motivations, right? Like death, Varney, whatever. He's pulling all these strings. He's talking to all these characters. He's making the story go along, but he's not like like nobody else really had any counter motivations other than like, oh, we got to deal with this, uh, right? I I don't. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, Varney was trying to accomplish the same goal that uh, Trevor and Sypha were. Yeah, it was the same goal, bring back Dracula. Everybody's but... got the same goal, just different sort of methods and the, the, the different sort of, like, relatability, I guess. Um, yeah, I don't like, know. Why Why Hector was talking with Varney at all? Like, I get it, talking with Dracula, but, like, seriously, Varney, Hector, like... I, I thought that was way out of character. Was was just a little side note. Well, didn't Varney have to sort of convince everybody to talk to him? He, he had to go through this, like, don't you know who I oh, am? Yeah. Like, I could have been in season one. Like, it was, that was, I don't, yeah. I don't really know. Um, I was, I was a haunting London before London was London. And <laughs> yeah. so many hints that he was death. And <laughs> right. So many hints. And they built up death he, too. He had, point. yeah. But I agree. I, I think I think that was just rushed. I think that that comes down to there was a lot to sort of figure out to end the show out at season four. I think that I personally really subscribe to your theory that it's it's built to be a five season series, and that like, I mean, you kind of said it off air, but like even Saint Germain um, could have had the journey that Isaac had given a season to have the journey that Isaac had in the infinite corridor. Uh, yeah. I, I, I think even though we saw Saint Germain kill somebody from the character that was established in season three, I still think he would need to go in a similar journey that Isaac did, but like the complete opposite, yeah. you know, a descent into madness to really, for us to believe that Saint Germain will really kill a lot of people just so he can see his the love of his life again in the infinite corridor like or maybe like during his time in the infinite corridor there's some like mind altering thing where um he is like disconnected with reality or the reality he was from i to believe the scope of what he was willing to do even though we saw him kill someone i still think it would require a, a Isaac-like journey to justify it based on what we see of the character in season three. Yeah, I yeah, I absolutely agree with that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just think it comes down to that. I think it comes down to just that kind of buildup, just that kind of pacing, the rushedness of it. Um, and I don't know. I uh, Picking the one video game adaptation that I just have no idea about. I mean, and, and these <laughs> games have been going since what the mid '80s, so there's plenty yeah. of source material to draw from. Perhaps for someone, this this Trevor Belmont versus Death is is a big moment. Um, you know, it's funny. We were asking like what the what the storyline of the video game was, um, because you know, in the '80s, they did not have cutscenes, uh, and apparently, it's it's Trevor Belmont in the original, and you have to get through 18 stages, and then you kill Count Dracula. And that's that's the story. And wow. granted, you know, that's been a very popular franchise ever since. So yeah, there are, you know, Alcard, Sypha, everybody yeah, shows up just... and who knows, you know, uh, what the actual intricacies of the storylines are as, as soon as they get to the 
sort of late 2D ones and the 3D ones. And as far as I can tell, they're still going. But yeah, I don't know. I just, it's it's tough because maybe that was good adaptation, but just poor on its own sort of narrative. Uh, I don't really have yeah. a whole lot to think about with the whole death storyline. I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm trying here. It seems like a quick jump for the show has a lot of themes about like morality, good and evil, death, heaven, hell, devil, God type thing. And usually in shows that deal with that matter, it's like season six or seven is them like going against death itself or something like that. And I think a lot of shows like that kind of gets into it in like in the same vampire ish world would be like Buffy. It takes a lot of seasons for them to get finally to like the source of evil. That is kind of what they're battling at. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of character development that has to happen before that so that they're not kind of like succumbing to certain things. And then recent show that aired on Netflix as well as like Lucifer, which has, which is based on the DC comic, which also has like a similar theme in, I think it's Sala's character that has a quote that's about how, well, if God created hell, then like it's supposed to exist and so is the devil. And so then that's his justification for like, so night creatures are chill <laughs> and um, layman's terms. But yeah, that's like kind of where I think not being as like rewatched and in tune to this show I feel like it was quick to get to the ultimate battle because really I do feel like they could have used a fifth or a sixth season um, to like go like at some point you watch a show and you see a main character like Dracula die in season two and you are kind of just waiting for them to bring him back at some point to just have the conflict of oh and like maybe it's good writing that they don't do that because that's expected but i think that's like it would create like a tension for them to like redo and then get to this ultimate there just seems like there's a missing challenge in between the two because it seems mm -hmm. like they kill dracula and then they're more having the issue of being very factioned and it's a lot of people's like battles for power, which makes sense. It's almost in that similar, like, you know, Game of Thronesy, Lord of the Ringsy type way of like who's going to win and be in charge of the vampires, in charge of the land, etc. But yeah, that's like the part where I feel like they could have done, they could have given it some more space. That being said, they didn't really have the chance to do that because they had a certain amount of episode count so what can you do but, but what of uh, what about the the end end of the show you know despite all this the the end and where dracula and his wife are back they're back they, they did it and they're together no and they're cat. not in hell <laughs> they're not in hell i mean what what did you two think of think of the ending like the true ending with with those two i'm very interested when they do decide to go visit alucard they talk about it they say that they're not ready to go i would be very interested to see alucard reunited with his parents after all we've saw him gone through 
That's yeah. A cool if if they could just do like a bonus episode, <laughs> just, just of of that meeting, that is the one thing I'd want to see. Yeah. Um. But I it. I mean, it just goes back to how sad of a character Alucard is. Like, his parents are like, no, like he's traumatized enough. And they don't even know about the Taka and Sumi stuff. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> but I mean, essentially, he watched his parents die like twice. Like, you know, because they were brought back as like that the medium or the homunculus. Um, you know, the the true goal of alchemy. I mean, he watched his parents die again. Yeah. And he never even had time to like cope and out. deal with the first one yeah yeah because he's had so much trauma yeah and so i totally see how and it, i thought it was such a good decision for the creators of the show to say no like he he needs his time yeah because it, like they they know we want it they know we want to see these characters together but no that that really made sense for for good parents and you know i mean Dracula lost lost it after his wife died, but they they really seemed like they were good parents. Yeah, yeah, and they seemed together and happy, and and it lets mm-hmm. our imaginations run wild. The fact that they sort of give us the fact that that will one day happen, but we have to sort of take the clues that we've been given through the story and build that scene ourselves as the epilogue, and and that is cool. Um, as far as like, yeah, they're not ready, and 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 yeah. This is this is this happy note that we get to end on um, with these two that but, really kickstarted this crazy series. Yeah, but and I I just thought it was so nice just to see those two together, like and not in true hell. Yeah, yeah we didn't get to <laughs> they, see that for a long they, time. They finally made it made it back together. Yeah, I mean that was that was very tough for Dracula's character. I mean he. Not not the best of person, but hey, his his wife made him a better person, and they they made each other better, and they they trusted each other and they they love each other, and so it's it very very nice to see them back together. Yeah, it. I feel like the show does take you on a roller coaster of morality, and so that's kind of their way of seeing showing an example of people figuring it out eventually even if that journey was pretty pretty twisted (laughs) along the way any last thoughts that we have on castlevania i mean we we covered a lot i think we covered covered almost the most of the characters (laughs) (laughs) yeah i you know i i think um in in a similar way that um solo was for season three i think ratko is for season four i think his character on paper is very basic but the implementation of his character like spoke volumes for you know yeah i'm we're, we're throwing around these you know we're we're doing war here we're doing battle here no like this is real war I thought I thought that was a very good good way to set or to change the tone really in season four, you know, where Trevor and well Trevor knew all along, but Sypha's really starting to see what what war is and you know the the evil in the world and 
Ratko is that evil. Like he, um, just a, a side character who is off a little too quick. But uh, I, yeah, I, I think he would be the the last character to cover for me. I, I think is he he needed to go. <laughs> you know, like his that's a a, a very scary character. Like he, he, he cannot stay around. He cannot stay in the story. Like he had to go. I think hit that and a lot of pretty much each of the seasons, they do touch on regardless of if you're a human or a vampire or whatever, that uh, war and power can turn any of the characters into a monster of their, the thing of which they most despise. They can easily kind of go through and it's a very you know thin line that they're able to cross into and usually not one that they expect they have the characters that we've discussed that that stay grounded and don't don't get easily turned but I think they're trying to show especially in this time period that is known for being very survivalist that it's very easy to take certain routes just to continue on in the Castlevania universe. And on that note, this episode has been, been pretty good, pretty, pretty extensive. I do feel like it took me a minute to realize that Castlevania is kind of like a riff on Transylvania, but it's on castles. Kind of punny, and I like it. <laughs> but Daniel, bring us home. <laughs> Gotta sell those cartridges. This show could not have been made without the following amazing people here on Primetime Party Time. Thank you for joining us tonight. We had our artwork done by Fenn. You can find her at Fenn Lante on Instagram. Our theme song was done by Jay Wright. Find him at jwrightmusic.com. Website with extra thanks this week to Coco. Production manager is BMAC. And guest starring Eric. Thank you for coming on and talking about a community Thank favorite you. with this one. Of course. Always fun to come on. Thanks for having me. <laughs> yes, I know. And this show has definitely been one that's, uh, yeah, multiple people were like, I can't believe you haven't seen this show yet. It's, it's a good time. Well, if you want more primetime party time, uh, catch us next Monday here at ptptshow.com, 9 p.m. Pacific, uh, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. That's going to be it. That's the song. That's 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 definitely it. That's what I heard every every episode. <laughs> the first of many. <laughs> <laughs>